Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to Backspin. My name is Steve Anderson. I'm here with Larry Canning. Thanks to Inside Golf. Larry, top of the day to you. Absolutely top right back at you, Stephen. And, and listeners, welcome to the show. It's been a while. Been a little while. Oh, yeah. we've been busy doing things. Yes. Uh, we yes. can't go into any details. No, we can't. Because there are none. But uh. anyhow, we're, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> Wondering where that was going. We're back to talk golf once again on Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. Inside Golf's been good reading lately, Larry. Yeah, it has been fantastic, Steve. Yeah, a lot of great stuff in it. Your column is setting a a whole new standard. Absolutely. Yeah, low standard, but it's it's a whole new standard. It's a whole new standard of low. It's so much pressure on me, Stephen. Now, set such a high bar. As we sit here talking, an event that's recently finished, golf event, is the West Australian PGA Championship, which was played at Kalgoorlie. Have you played at Kalgoorlie? No, I, I, no, Steve, I haven't, no. There used to be a tournament out there when I was playing, but no, I never did. People rave about the course there, though. Oh, fantastic looking golf course on TV. It looks sensational. We're going to talk with not the winner, but the runner-up, a young bloke named Jared Felton. You have had a rap on Jared Felton for a while. Yes, no disrespect to Darren Beck, who won the Western Australian PGA, is a wonderful player. But Jared, I've been watching, uh, yeah, for a few years. I watched him win his first event at Riverside Oaks a few years ago, Steve, the New South Wales PGA, when I was doing radio for that event. And a very, very impressive young player. And I've been watching his progress since. And um, he's ready. He's ready to go. He's ready to go up nuts. Yeah, and he, he's he's off to, um, off to Europe pretty soon. He's going to... Tell us a bit more about what's happening over there, what he's hoping to achieve, because he's, you know, he's played a lot. He's been there or thereabouts mm. quite a few times, won a few times and, and been yep. runner-up a few times. But, uh, yeah, you, you reckon he's pretty close to getting to that next level. Need to throw him on the big stage and open up the curtains, mate. He's ready. And one of the other things about Jared is that young is the operative word. He's only 24 He's 24, yeah. Yeah. He crazy. won that first event when he was 20, I think. It's the ball a long way. Yeah, strong player, but just a beautiful striker. Yeah, just okay. a wonderful striker. We'll find out more about Jared Felton and what's coming up for him, what he's been doing, and what's coming up for him in backspin this time round. We'll also talk with uh, John O'Nash. Good bloke, John O. Yeah, very, oh. yeah, he's, he's fantastic for the PGA. He's been a real catch for us, a beauty. Yeah, he is the media and communications manager for the PGA. He was up at the PGA Expo. What's it all about? You were there. It further develops the, the knowledge and the experience and the education of our PGA members, Steve, both old and young. I loved it. I'm, I'm a bit of a golf club fan. You know, I love the, the technology side of golf and the equipment side. I love uh, reviewing our gear. And I love to see all the new stuff coming out. There's some fantastic stuff, which we'll talk about in the, in the ensuing months that's being released. And also for the guys who are starting their careers or in the middle of their careers where they're looking to branch out into coaching or management or more into retail, it was all there for them to see and learn. It was it was terrific. Yeah, I love being there. And just a good opportunity to get together with other blokes as yeah, well. Yeah, you have a couple of beers. I had uh, 71 beers. Yes, one under I had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you with all the people I had them with because some of them are really important people. <laughs> Anyhow, we'll move on from that okay. one. You are talking about a new iron from Callaway, the yeah, Rogue. The Rogue Iron, very impressed. Interesting experience I had when I was hitting shots with it. Yeah, I haven't haven't yeah, quite had that before. Let's save the detail for okay. later. Okay, Steve. Boy, there's some stuff in, in this, some technology in this that you won't find in mm. any other golf club. Yeah, it's brand new, cutting edge. And you have a tip, and I, I personally am looking forward to this tip because I think it's one that I really need, and it's about teeing off on a par three. Yeah, teeing your ball up, how to tee it up. 
Yeah, let's just leave you with that little snippet, Stephen, and we'll just go to the next thing, and hopefully the listeners are all now waiting in anticipation. Yeah, anticipating. yeah everyone's got their own What's theory about? about, yeah, about the par three, how to tee up. You know, mm. you get the bloke with the, the, the long tee, and, you know, it's meant for the driver, but he sits mm-hmm. his ball on it. Get the, the really old blokes. Nice and high. And- the tie washer to their tee so they don't lose it. Old <laughs> veterans. <laughs> <laughs> Property of God love them. Yeah, yeah, the washer's got property of written. If lost, ring this number. <laughs> Anyhow, it'd be a good tip, I'm sure. And uh, you're not really going to spit this week. You're just going to try and encourage, I think, is the best yes, way to yeah. talk about what's L- happening. A little, little of bit of disappointment, but, but not, but in a positive way. Yeah, okay. Let's see if we're going to achieve something from it. That's all coming up in this episode of Backspin. And Larry, before we um, take a very, very, very short break, an exciting summer of golf coming up. Brilliant summer of golf, Steve, yeah. It has started with the smaller events leading up to the big one. Yeah. Well, the big one this year, the President's, President's Cup. President's Cup. What about that? Yeah. Let's talk about that and the ensuing shows. Yeah. Who do we Who do we know? How can we get in there? How can we get tickets? Um, I'm right. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm all good. All yeah. right. No, I'm fine. Thank you, Steve, for asking. No, all good. Excellent. All good. good for you. <laughs> And we've got Buncey the button pusher, as you can hear in the background there. Buncey, he's yeah, a he handsome chuckle. He's a good-looking bloke. He's Rooster, a good-looking fella. Listen, he's going to push the buttons. We're going to take a little break. We're going to be back with more of Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf, very soon. The Backspin Interview, thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. And last month, the PGA held its annual expo. And Larry, you were there. I was there. It was fantastic. So I really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. What were you doing there? Um, having a couple of beers. Uh, yeah, no, I was up there having a look at all the equipment. I'm, I'm a bit of an equipment fan, as you know, Steve. But seriously, it's a great event, isn't it? You've been going for many years. Yes, we used to have it a long time ago. It's just been reborn. Yeah. And it's a it's a, it's, it's a biannual event. It's fantastic. Yeah, it helps a lot of the guys learn more about their trade and, and diversify. Lots of different things to learn. Because the bloke behind the counter at your pro shop, you know, there's a, a little bit more... Um, that goes into actually making it there as a golf pro than a lot of people probably realise. No one realises. I don't think, Steve, how many hours and how many years it takes for that guy to learn his trade and become a vocational member of the Australian PGA. There's a lot in it. Yeah, let's talk with uh, John O'Nash, who is the Media and Communications Manager for the PGA of Australia. A little bit more about that topic. We might throw in a bit about the Expo, and we might talk a little bit about Kalgoorlie as well. G'day, Jono. G'day, Steve. G'day, Larry. How G'day, Jono. Good, thanks, mate. Now, the Expo, it was a fantastic success from what I could see, and I believe all the surveys results have come back, and it's been an outstanding event. So, what's your take on it, uh, and, and how did you think it went? It was an incredible event. Like, there's so much work that goes on at the back end to, to bring it to life. But we had somewhat over 220 PGA members attend the event. And for the golf industry, you're not going to have such a concentrated uh, group of uh, golf experts who are so willing to learn and get the best out of themselves and impart that wisdom onto their staff and colleagues at their respective clubs. It was like returning to uni again, seeing a lot of these middle-aged men furiously scribbling on their notepads at some of our <laughs> keynote presentations, but it was incredible. They were, so the guys, they, they were the guys with actual pens in their hands, weren't they, and, and, and yeah, an actual well, notepad. was one of those guys... One of those guys about six foot four, strawberry blonde hair, and a, a, a stubby in one hand and a pen in the other. I think I saw him with a quill and, and some tools, I think. That's him. <laughs> chipping, chipping some stone out of his tablet. <laughs> oh, no, but it's a fantastic event. Just someone like me who doesn't come from a golf background, you truly do learn how 
experienced and skilled our PGA members are. So the training that they receive under the traineeship, that's undertaking a, a bit of an overhaul where it's going to be more engaging and be able to offer services that are so pivotal to the role of the PGA Pro at your local golf club. In an event where social media was particularly the, the talking point in some of our presentations where to establish a brand is going to be enormous in the digital space. It's just like when, when I go to a restaurant with my wife, before she even looks at the menu, she looks up the restaurant on Instagram and sort of sees, oh, look, I was thinking about the Palmer, but their Palmer doesn't look quite good. And she might think about the Noki, like, oh, I don't know about the Noki. So if, if, people, if you don't have an identity in the digital space, it's going to hurt you in the long run. So it's being able to deliver the right message, deliver the right content so it's engaging to really establish your brand and, and your business and in turn impact the club uh, for the, the benefit, I guess. So is this one of the focuses for the PGA at the moment? I mean, I spoke in the introduction about the fact that the bloke who's standing behind the counter when you go into the pro shop, a lot of people, as I say, just don't, Larry understands, but a lot of people don't just how much work they've put in to become a professional golfer, to go through that traineeship and develop the skills that not only they've got the game, but they've got to develop all those other skills that go with it. But now, as you say, the digital age, is this a focus for you, getting all of those guys, not only the ones who are coming through, but the ones who are already there, getting them really au fait with what to do in the digital landscape? That's the longest question I've ever heard, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Made sense, though. It did, end. yes. Something which we are aspiring to do better as a PGA organisation when we're at events and just by being able to, because if we can impart the skills on our members to best promote what they do. They're going to be the best ambassadors for the PGA. But when you mentioned just how well-skilled they are, from a holistic approach, that's, there's, there's no one better at a golf club from uh, their business acumen to hospitality work to looking after the books at a golf club. There, there is, it's, it's almost daunting when you consider the, the amount of work that some of them have done. Some of them have been through the traineeship and through a seven-year period, and it's taken them that long to, to get credentialed. But you won't find someone who has a, a more diverse skill set than the PGA Pro at your local club. It's probably a good point to be made here at the moment, uh, Jono, with the difference between a tour player and a vocational PGA member now. The way I see it is that tour player is a, is a good player, goes to a tour school, has obviously a low amateur handicap, goes to a tour school, plays well in that, gets his card, plays the tour for a year. If he keeps wins enough money, he keeps that card. That's the tour player. He's also a member of the PGA and a different sort of um, level, isn't he? But an yeah. actual vocational PGA member has done a three-year apprenticeship, and in that, just that alone, there's so many things you wouldn't believe, coaching, obviously game development, management, small business, then he has to keep up a playing standard. There's, there's so many paths at the end of that three-year apprenticeship that particular man or, or, or woman can go down, isn't there? Absolutely. That's, that's why it makes it so appealing. That, because I think the misconception for a lot of people is that a, one, our members are, are essentially failed professionals, yeah, where yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, isn't, it isn't necessarily the case, because having learned firsthand the, how challenging it is for some of the players to make ends meet at times, like I just find it incredible just to think that over the weekend at the WAPGA, just, they were grinding in 38-degree heat and even... I think it even got to a bit higher than that on one of the days. And it doesn't take much in, in the game of golf to see your day to sort of go down the gurgler with a couple of poor shots. Mm. So these guys are, are financing their trips to rural golf events just to really to pursue their passion and try to get the best out of themselves. So the benefit of the programs that we offer for our PGA members is that there is life after being a tool professional. 
And that's what's it's so important because these guys are going to be the custodians in encouraging the youngsters to come through and take up our game. So that's a key focus for us too. If, if we see participation rates increase from a grassroots level, we're going to have a stronger elite system that develops more professionals. So that's certainly something that these guys are, are passionate about and are willing to, I guess, pass the baton should their careers eventually ride off into the sunset. And we are at the coalface, Jono, aren't we? The, 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 if, if, let's go back to the club professional for a moment. He is at the coalface of decisions being made by a lot of people within the game. He sees the reactions. He sees whether it's a success or not. And he's someone that's sh- he's a resource, isn't he, for any golf club, if he, he's a club pro or if, if he's a manager of a golf club. He's a resource that needs to be tapped into, isn't he? Yeah, and they're the concierge too they're really the, they're the front of house they they know the members i think because that's where the, the the clubhouse has to reconnect itself with the community again it's basically forget about the golf side of it if it's not a if it's not a hub that brings the community together and and people don't feel like well they they, they want to embrace it they, they want to feel like that they belong in these these establishments so that's first and foremost i think the priority of, of people at their golf club and that and the pga member leads the charge i think with some of the golf clubs, they're, they're in dire situations. And I think if they can better align themselves with the community and other sporting bodies, because as we approach summer on a Friday night, just having a, a quick nine at, uh, at your local golf club, there sometimes there isn't more enjoyable things to yep, do. So yep, yep. that's certainly something which we need to reconnect with. All right, mate. Thank you for your time. And uh, if people want more information about uh, anything, go and talk to your local pro or Larry PGA website. PGA.org.au, Stephen. Very good. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate the time. Cheers, mate. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. I'm Steve Anderson, Larry Canning over here. Larry, the next bloke we're going to talk to, you've got a big rap on this bloke and you've had a big rap on this bloke for quite a few years now. First met Jared Felton, Steve, 2015, New South Wales PGA Championship at Riverside Oaks in Sydney. Jared was a pro, I think, about 13 seconds at the time. He just turned pro with a fairly polished amateur career and he won the New South Wales PGA that year played the last four or five holes like an absolute veteran and he was only barely 20 years well, old well he can tell us how old he was because he's on the line right now Jared Felton hello mate hi guys thanks for having me how old were you 2015, 20, is that right? 20 years old. It was impressive to see you play that day, Jared. I've been a fan ever since, not in a stalking way, <laughs> but but borderline. So you might just want to get your legal people. What Every time you practice, I'm at a golf tournament and I'm watching you practice. That's me, the, the, the tall, really handsome. <laughs> Let me stop. I can't. <laughs> stop now, Larry. Stop now. So, Jared, the reason we're calling you, obviously you came second recently in the Western Australian PGA. Congratulations. And I suppose commiserations a little bit for that? Yeah, it was kind of a... You know, a, a tough loss, but at the end of the day, I couldn't really do much about what Darren was doing, and he just absolutely turned the switch and turned it on, and I just had front row seats to what he did on the back nine, shooting 30, and there's not a lot I could do. I shot even par and ended up losing by two, but um, yeah, that's golf, unfortunately. The golf course looks fantastic on the PGA Tour website. Have you played there before, that golf course? Yeah, so I've played there probably, I think that was my fifth year, and I've um, actually run top 10 every year. So I really enjoy. really enjoy the course. Yeah, it's a great, great it, ball strikers course. Right. It looks unbelievable on the TV screens. It looks like it's just in the middle of the desert, which it pretty well is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a six-hour drive from Perth into the middle of the desert, so no, it's a great course. Jared, take us back. 2015, as we were talking about before, that victory in New South Wales PGA at Riverside Oaks. You were 20 years old. Four years on since that victory, or, or thereabouts, is the career going to plan, or did you have a plan back then? I think everyone can say they had a plan and obviously wanted to be somewhere 
further on in their careers. I've won twice, I've had two runner-ups and I've had a, well, I don't think I've had a very successful career, but everyone's going to be hard on themselves. But, you know, when you have those moments and you look back, you go, oh, it's actually been pretty good. But obviously, imagine yourself being a bit further on and maybe being on a European tour or something else. Yeah, I had visions of maybe being on European tour by now, for sure. It's all about playing well at the right time, Jared, isn't it? And God, even in my limited little career that I had playing, there's no good playing well if you're playing, well, it's, it's nice if you go out and play a pro-am somewhere in the middle of the country and shoot eight under par on a golf course that's nearly unplayable and beat everyone by seven shots you win you know you win your three or four thousand dollars and and you're wrapped now you're playing but if you do that same thing in a european tour school or an asian tour school or something or the the corn ferry tour or something along those lines it just changes your life doesn't it so it's timing isn't it and in in your case has it been just the timing issue yeah like like you said everyone knows that you've got pretty much couple of times a year where you try and pinpoint where you want to play well. It might be some of the co-sanctioned events we've got on this tour or some of the tour schools play. Yeah, it's massive pressure you put on yourself to have to play well those weeks. And um, at the end of the day, I think sometimes it gets the better of you and you do put too much pressure yeah, on yourself. Yeah. So those times, do you notice, I mean, say, you know, runner-up, in the WA Open or the WA Championships, I should say, did you you notice that you didn't put pressure on yourself? I mean, is it something you're conscious of or do you get in a groove? How, how do you recognise when you're having a really good tournament? I definitely took a different attitude into this week just gone. I definitely have struggled with my mental side of things the last probably couple of years and it's definitely, you know, golf beats you up and there's no secret formula to obviously playing well, but it is a pretty tough sport and it does beat you up and definitely took a different attitude to, to this week and it paid dividends. But yeah, I mean, playing in Asia the, the start of this year and I got off to a great start this year, finishing 12th Vic Open. I thought, oh, this might be, you know, we'll pick up from here and, and push forward and then play some events in Asia and it beats you up around there. You mean, you play very average golf courses and you don't get, I think, as much reward as you do when you're playing top-level golf courses in Australia. It's interesting when we talk about that fine line, Jared, and, and we, we saw Jake McLeod last year win the New South Wales Open. He then went on to come third in the Australian Open. He played well in the Australian PGA. So those three key events, of course, the New South Wales Open is a now a tier one event, Steve. That means it's worth $400,000. The, the money list is, is the, the end-all and be-all. Jake did that and got a European tour card like that in, in three weeks. And, and that's that's the, the timing thing I'm talking about. Jared, Jake is a very fine player. Jared, I reckon, can play as well as Jake. And yet, Jared, what did you do last year in those events, Jared? Did you get a start in those three? And I finished 12 from your order on that last oh, year. Yeah, see, there um, it is. It was a really solid year. I, I finished, finished maybe, I had a good finish this year. I finished ninth at the PGA. I had a chance to probably finish a bit high, but, you know, at the end of the day, you finish ninth and you finish 12 from the order of You get your starts in your second stages and get a start in the Dunhill, and that's it. Restart, go back next year, play you know, the start of the year, big open and stuff like that, but there's nothing really, you know, you push on to be better. You wait till November next year when the mm, tour schools mm. come around. What's next for Jared Felton in 2019? So we'll, we'll play this week at the Open, being a prime this year, unfortunately, it's, it's a bit of a loss. And then we'll play a big PGA, come home for a week, and then we'll go to European Tour second stage and third, hopefully, and then come home for a week and then finish off the year for New South Wales, the Open and Aussie PGA. Maybe a couple of Asian tour events at the end of those. Well. Just quickly tell us about that European Tour School second stage, mate. What's involved? So that starts on the seventh of November, seventh to the tenth. That's four rounds, and uh, I think it normally about top eighteen players get through. So there's a cut after two, and then top eighteen progress to third stage, and then I think third stage is five rounds, and then it's top thirty get European tour card. Tough, isn't it? And where's that? Where do you play? That's in Spain this 
year. Oh, it's still there. Is it still the same golf course? It always was? Not Catalonia anymore. Right, okay. No, it's a different course. Do you need financial help, Jared? I mean, do you need a sponsor? Can we put the word out to all our listeners, Steve, that they're a cashed up or have businesses that need to write some off, that this kid is a serious threat. He's a bloody good player. He Give him a chance, back him and give him a chance to... To get on that European tour, and he's going to do some damage. I well, you've, got, you've got more rich mates than I have, Larry, so uh, <laughs> go and tap him on the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I've tapped up for my own behalf already, man. I'm tapped out. How do you handle that sort of thing, Jared? Is it all done on your own, or, or how does that work? you got to fund um, it yourself? I got very lucky. The national squad and stuff like that, I had a good record and played very nicely, and Golf Australia continue to help me out as they do with that rookie program. I had that for two years, so I was very fortunate to get that for two years which, you know, it was a massive help financially for me. And then, obviously, I have my clothing sponsor being Titleist and Fultroy. They've helped me out since I was an amateur. And I had Fujitsu sponsor me for a couple of years as well. So they've been a massive help. And I can't thank them enough for what they've done. Yeah, yeah that's they'd terrific. They come in handy over in Southeast Asia, just the Fujitsu. Fujitsu, what it looks Very uh, steamy over there. Your own personal little oh, yeah. air conditioner. Yeah, I need my own portable <laughs> air Listen, Jared, best wishes with it, mate. It's, it's great to talk with you. It's great to hear a bit more about your story. And good luck. I hope it all goes well over there in Spain and we'll keep an eye on you too, see how it's going. Awesome. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Good luck, Jared. See Larry, you, Larry, you'll keep an even closer eye I will. Yeah. It's from a certain distance. Yeah, just watch out, Jared. <laughs> You're safe, Jared. Check yeah, every good. spectator. <laughs> Six foot four strawberry blonde bloke Stop getting it. kicked off the course. Stop it. Restraining <laughs> order. Thanks, Jared. See you, mate. Thanks, guys. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Larry, I'm going to be listening with great interest to this tip you have for us today. What's it all about? Well, that's fascinating that you are interested, Steve. No, I am, particularly with this one. It's teeing up on par threes. There are certain things you learn when you play the game for a living for as long as I have tried to, Steve. Yeah. And you, you take advantage of every single thing you can you don't want anyone else getting an advantage you don't have. Now, teeing up on a par three, I see too many of my amateur partners teeing the ball up in just anywhere. Usually, nowhere near where a divot is. They'll find a nice bit of fluffy grass, tee their ball up so there's a bit of grass in behind the golf ball, and when they hit that bit of grass behind the ball, they get a flyer. So the ball goes another five or ten metres over the back of the green, and they're in trouble. When you're teeing up on a par three, two things to keep in mind. One, you don't want any grass behind your golf ball. So just to finish that point, the best place to tee your ball up is right on the front end of a divot. So the divot is behind where you're teeing your ball up, so there's nothing in between you and that golf ball. The greenkeeper will hate you, which you'll make an already divot hole into an even longer one, but just throw a bit of sand in it and you'll be fine. So that's step one. Step two, teeing the ball too high on a par three is another thing that annoys me because it, it creates either a strike on the top of the golf club, which is not near the, the sweet spot, or it creates an upward golf swing, which gets the ball on the up instead of on the down, which mm. we know it should be with, a, with an iron shot. So when you're teeing up on a par three, I would suggest you find a divot, put your ball on the end of that divot, and I'm talking about the, the green side of that divot, so that the divot is behind the golf ball, so there's nothing in between you and that ball when you strike it. Yeah. Tee it nice and low, so you catch the ball in the correct part of the, of the face of the golf club, and you don't try and scoop it up in the air. So actually using a tee. I do always tee up, always I, I tee would up. suggest, yes. Yeah. There have been great players that haven't, but they're playing on magnificent golf courses yeah. every day. We, we're not, so mm. we need to tee it up, yes. And when you say nice and low, you know, people do tee up too high, should you just have basically the, the top of the tee above ground, the yeah. rest of it should be below ground? Yeah, that's pretty well it. Yeah, you, you, you're looking for the best lie you can get without, without the ball sitting above the grass. Mm. Yes. 
Yeah, so, so so looking, you're looking at me like I no, answered no, that just, last uh, question. No, no, no. I really, I re- it's a really good topic, this one, because it's something that I think about every time I get to uh, a par three tee. Should I, you know? And the tip about, like the, and I always look for the nice fluffy bit of grass. Mm. And then I do tee up. I, I try <laughs> to laugh in the face of such comments. Uh, I try. And what about the difference between, say, if it's, uh, you know, like you're using, I don't know, it's a long par three. Yep. And you're using a longer iron. Do you mm-hmm. tee it up a little bit higher no, or same no, thing? Same thing. Mm. Exactly the same height. When you're on a practice fairway, when you're on a driving range, you don't tee your ball up. You're hitting it off for a really nice bit of grass or a mat. And that's what you try to achieve with the tee, to give yourself a really good lie. You don't want it sitting up above the grass, no. Excellent. That's one of your best tips ever, Larry. Is it? For me, anyway. It's for me simple, personally, I'm being very selfish in saying that, but it was a good one. God, you're selfish. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm going to try that at Everglades next week. Pleasure. Have a nice game at Everglades. Oh, we love Everglades. It is a nice golf course, it's isn't a it? Top little golf. You know, course. That's my first golf shot was there at Everglades. Is that right? Yeah, you want to tell me about it? No, no, we got time. Straight over the fence, busted a window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I joined Gosford just after that. <laughs> I think my I think my last shot there did the same thing. <laughs> Now, your spit's not really a spit. Well, it's sort of a spit this week. You're a bit cranky about golf crowds or lack of crowds. A little bit disappointed, Steve, because I, as we were talking with Jared, I go to a lot of state opens and state PGAs, tier two events, we call them in Australia, to cover them for radio. And and when I do, I'm always surprised how few people go out to watch the boys and and the girls play. And there's no fee for most of them. There's no no charge to get in. You just walk straight in there and you can get up as close as you like to the players because there's no Ropes, usually, maybe just behind the tee, but most times you can walk down the fairways with the players. And these guys are seriously good. We, we, we talked about Jared, was Jake McLeod last year, who won the New South Wales Open, came third in the Australian Open, nearly won the could have won the Australian PGA a week later. And we're watching him up front and, and personal and watching the strike, listening to his talk with his caddy. It was brilliant seeing it. So I think a lot of players, a lot of golfers, spectators, fans, don't don't realise just how bloody good these kids are playing those tours. And you can all, you also get the chance to see the guys that are getting their games ready for the seniors tours, Steve. And Rod Pampling and, and, and Peter Lonard were playing these tours uh, the last couple of years, watching them. Oh, they still strike the ball beautifully. Not quite as long as the younger guys, but still great to watch up up close and personal. So get along to the state events, folks. Get along to the PGAs and, these, and the Opens, New South Wales and Victorians and all those events and see the players up close. Because in a week or two, you could be watching them on TV leading the Australian Open. And, and they will appreciate it too, won't they? If they've got, you know, there are a few people following them around, they do it, they like it, don't they? They do appreciate it, Steve, yes. And the sponsors appreciate the people that are coming yeah. out. It's great for, it's a flow-through effect right through the game. I always remember the first tournament I, I went to was the 1990 New South Wales Open in Bathurst because I was living up, up there, I was working on radio, and you played in that event. Um, but the thing didn't, I don't remember, think I won. I don't think I got you beaten. No, you didn't win. I, I think uh, Peter O'Malley. I think he. Oh, hang on. No, he didn't. Um, Ken Trimble. Kenny won Trimble. It. Yep. Um, uh, ju- only just beat um, uh, Pom. You know, um, mm. in, in the tournament. But the thing that got me about that was the fact that I turned up. There are all these blokes I'd never even heard of them, but standing there watching them tee off on the first, I just like it knocked yeah. me out. How good these blokes were. Yep. Yep. And as you said, at that stage back then, Kel Nagel played. Oh, did he? Yeah. Gold. <laughs> Gold. So, and Ian Stanley, you know, Ian Stanley was yeah. trying to get around Bathurst's golf course as quickly as he could. Oh, he, he got, got an early start. Catch, yeah. But the thing is, you do get to, so it's not only these great young players, 
it's some of the the more senior players that you know mm-hmm. have been there and done that who are still playing and still playing bloody good golf. Absolutely, yeah. Get along to the state open, folks. Please do it. You, you'll be you'll and take your kids along too. Yeah. Because the boys like entertaining the kids as well. It's great. It's, it's it's a great atmosphere. That's a good one. That's not a spit. No, it was kind of... Now, what, what would you call it, Steve? It was, a, a, it, it was a... A sigh? Yeah. A yeah, sigh. It was a sigh, yeah. Yeah, <sighs> it was a bit of, bit of stuff in the back of your throat that didn't come uh, out. Brooks Kepka style. Oh, no, no. no. Oh, God. <laughs> Brooksy. I can't look at Brooks Kepka every I can't time look he's being interviewed. It's like, mate, what is that? Yeah. What's wrong? There was one that came out of his gob at Augusta, I think it was. It, it was... It was, it was God, you could have watered a, a small plant with it, Steve, for a couple of days. It was a horrible thing. Anyhow, and I, I'm I reckon getting on to Brooks Kepka and he's... If you'd have trodden on it, you'd have, you'd have fallen over. You'd have skidded it halfway down the fairway. Larry, thank you for that. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, we will be back in the very near future with some more Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. Inside Golf.